Welcome to the SLS Cast with Matt and Tim. The SLS Cast is a podcast featuring in-depth takes on various topics ranging from genre discussion to filmmakers and the movies they make. On this episode, we'll be discussing whether the film starring Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry, The Whole Nine Yards, from the year 2000, aged well or not. Before we begin, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find our show over at slscast.com, on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast directories. We're also on Twitter, at the SLScast, and you can always send us an email to the show at slscast.com. Now that we've got all that out of the way, welcome cinephiles, and we hope you enjoy the show. to the SLS cast with Matt and Tim. I am Tim. And this is Matt. Today's episode will decide whether or not if the 2000 film, as in the film being released in the year 2000, the whole nine yards aged well. Matt, I know I watched this movie last night for the first time in 20 years. I remember renting this movie, or better yet, my parents renting this movie back when it was released, when it was first made available on DVD to rent at Blockbuster, and I absolutely loved it. When did you last watch it? When was your first time viewing this film? And the funny thing is, is I did not watch this movie... Uh, for the first time until its inevitable sequel came out. Um, because I did not want to see Chandler from Friends running around Hitmen. It didn't really seem like a funny movie to me. And so I had been roped into seeing the whole Ten Yards, and then knowing that that was happening... I went to the uh, Blockbuster and rented the whole nine yards. And that was the first time that I had seen it. So I would say what the, the sequel came out in 2003, 2004? 2003, 2004. Yeah. And so that was the first time that I had seen it. I did enjoy myself. I can honestly say that I enjoyed myself. And then I have not seen it again since uh, until last night. I literally watched it again just last night. Um, it was my wife's first time seeing the movie, and she enjoyed it. Uh, she said she laughed quite a bit, and then at the end said, you know, that was pretty good. So, um, yes, and then, of course, I did have, I, I don't know. I, I do still have that one lingering concern about the whole nine yards. So you and I both indirectly watched... The whole nine yards together, uh, different time zones, different states, different, different coasts, even. <laughs> uh, but in some way, we laughed together and we had concerns together. Now, I, I, I know we're not talking about the whole ten yards, and I, I have no idea if it's going to come up later on or not. But I have not seen the whole ten yards. In fact, I've had a lot of people telling me. Not to watch the whole 10 yards. Did you decide be, to watch the nine yards because you didn't like 10 yards or, or what? Well, um, I just remember again. Now, my first viewing 
wasn't until just before seeing the whole 10 yards. I would also put myself in the camp of people who would tell you simply avoid the whole 10 yards. Um, but honestly, my thinking about this film was adhering to our standard of saying a movie has to be 20 years old before we can really say did it age well. And it was just convenient that this was the year that the whole nine yards turned 20. And I recall not really having seen it since that first time. And so I thought not only would it be great to revisit it in, in a context of did it age well, but also kind of revisiting it in the context of a movie I haven't seen in nearly 20 years. And I think that it's a really great place to jump into our discussion that we'll have right after the trailer. I like that segue. Very professional. <laughs> well, I, I do what I can. Can you move any slower than this, fellas? Hi. You must be our new neighbor. I'm Nicholas Ozaransky. Call me Oz. Jimmy. Jimmy Jones. Have we met before? No. I remember I got a thing with faces. Oh, no. You all right? Yes. You look like you got some gas. That's Jimmy the Tulip Tedeschi. Jimmy the Tulip was a hitman. Sexy. Sophie, the man's killed 17 people. Let's go for a drive. A drive? Look, Jimmy, I certainly don't want to die. You better get used to it because you're going to. What? Everybody dies. Sooner or later. Jimmy Tedeschi's new friends are hitting on him. I'm one of your biggest fans. I've been following your career since I was a kid. She has definite potential. What? I've been wanting to meet you for years. But one of them is hitting a little too close to home. What got into him? This is Cynthia, Jimmy's wife. Oz, we're friends. Friends do not engage in sexual congress with each other's wives. <laughs> Have you vomited recently? A minute ago. I was just going to brush my teeth. I'll wait. Okay. You were right about him. This is one exceedingly sweet man. I can't think of nothing finer than a fine naked woman holding a gun. Bruce Willis. It's not important how many people I've killed. What's important is how I get along with the people that are still alive. Matthew Perry. He's a little upset. <clears throat> I've managed to upset a mass murderer. <clears throat> Aren't you going to cry out for help? Would it do any good? No. Time to rock and roll. In their world... They're going to kill you. What? Being yourself... Nobody move. ...could get you killed. The whole nine yards. But for those of you who are not in the know for, what have, for whatever reason... Um, the Whole Nine Yards did come out in 2000, and it is a black comedy crime film, and it was directed by Jonathan Lynn. And interestingly enough, most people probably remember this specific era of time, not so much for The Whole Nine Yards, but because of our recent nostalgia boost from the 90s featuring Friends. And most people realize that Bruce Willis was on Friends around this time period. And it was because Bruce Willis lost a bet. Um, Matthew Perry was convinced of the whole nine yards um, eventual success. Bruce Willis was not. 
And so I can't remember what the exact figure was, but it was like if the movie broke X amount of money or if the movie was number one for like two weeks in a row or something like that, then Bruce Willis would have to come on and do uh, um, a story arc on Friends. Really? And so, yes. And so Bruce Willis took the bet. He lost because the whole nine yards did do well. And so he honored the bet and came on Friends. Interesting. Yeah. Um, But... For those of you who are not um, totally up on the up, uh, Matthew Perry plays a very, very likable but down-on-his-luck dentist named uh, Nicholas Oz Ozaransky, who is uh, troubled by tons of debt from his father-in-law, a wife who doesn't love him and hates him. He is just not really in a good place financially, barely making ends meet, uh, when his life is completely upended by a uh, by a hitman, Jimmy the Tulip Tudeski, moving in next door. Um, very quickly, his life, which was already kind of crappy, goes into complete shambles, and he has to figure out just exactly what he's going to do to fix it um you know this really is a truly well put together film i think that what makes the film work so well is not that it's not that it's even written it's not that it's written so well because i think that there's a lot of there's a lot of campy dialogue uh especially directed towards Matthew Perry's character and the earnestness with which Matthew Perry delivers his his lines does make the sale but it doesn't exactly you know the the check doesn't clear if you will because even though you believe his character saying these things you still recognize how cheesy they are um probably the chief line I don't just want to marry you I want to marry you more in, than anyone in the history of the world has wanted to marry anyone else. Um, sure, you might say that when you're a lovelorn 15-year-old in the throes of your first real crush, but... And you're you know, not with a crime boss's ex-wife. Who is so smoking hot that vinyl would melt. Um, but, I mean, but still, it's the earnestness. You you do believe that Oz is saying these things. Um, but I think what really makes the movie a success are that the story beats pop and the story beats never go too long. As soon as something feels like it could start to drag... Time to end and move to the next thing. As soon as we pick up, oh, now we've got Oz heading off back to Chicago. Great. So Oz heads to Chicago. We think he's going to lay low. But now you think the red herring um, is really that Rosanna Arquette's character, who is Oz's wife. Oh, she's going to hire uh, Jimmy to kill him. That's your head. Nope. That story beat you can see very clearly isn't going to go anywhere. Boom, time to move to the next thing. And then the plan comes out. Oh, is it time to go and meet someone else? Let's go meet another character. Is it time to come back to another location? And that's what makes this movie so good. Because even though there are flaws in the dialogue, and to an extent, there are flaws in the romantic aspects of the story, it's 
it's the story beats popping that create that dynamic that you believe it's happening. Everything's happening so quickly, you get caught up in the whirlwind too. And um, so I, I think that is a credit truly to both um, Jonathan Lynn and uh, Mitchell Kapner because where the dialogue fails, the story wins. And it does create a winning film. I don't know. Um, this doesn't get to my major concern, but I definitely want to give you, Tim, a chance to jump in. What? Where's your head at? Before we get into the story beats or the story moments, we really should talk about the characters and the people who portray these characters, as well as the director and the writer. Jonathan Lynn, the director of The Whole Nine Yards, he was a writer for the movie Clue. He was also the director of My Cousin Vinny, which is also known to be a very uh, well-written, well-directed, well-performed, uh, in, in some ways, I guess you can call it a, 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 an ensemble film, even, about ordinary life and ordinary setting is very prominent in My Cousin Vinny. And Michael Kapner, the writer, in addition to the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards, uh, he really hasn't written much at all. I think he is only other credited on Fatal Attraction as a production assistant. So really, the whole nine yards was was his first movie, was his first big Hollywood production that he was a part of. Um, but as for the characters, Bruce Willis as Jimmy Tudeschi as the retired hitman. I think he's retired. Uh, Matthew pa uh, Matthew Perry as Oz. Rosanna Arquette as his French-Canadian wife, Sophie, and Michael Clark Duncan as Frank Figgs. And I gotta say, I miss Michael Clark Duncan ever so much more after watching this movie. Uh, Natasha Hinstridge as Cynthia. Uh, she plays Bruce Willis's ex-wife, Cynthia. And Amanda Peet, who gives probably her most memorable performance and one of the most memorable performances of the film. She plays Jill. And then, of course, Kevin Pollack as uh, Janny Gogolock, or however you say the last name. What makes this movie so interesting are these moments and these story elements or beats, as what you call them, Matt. Yes, when it comes down to it, it is important to have all of these moments or beats established by the screenplay. And then it is also important to have a director who understands these beats from the screenplay and can interpret them so that it comes across on screen. But most importantly, you need people to accomplish these beats, you know, to perform them. And I, I mean, ever since I first saw this movie 20 years ago, I was 12 years old, but there are so many things that stuck in uh, uh, that got stuck in my mind that while watching the film, before the beats happened, I called them out. For example, when Matthew Perry, Oz, the character, is running, trying to get back into his house, and then he jumps up to go through the, the entryway of the back door, he hits the window because, you know, at the time, he ran out of the, of the house opening up the back uh, sliding door, but he didn't close it. So he thought that it was still open. Apparently, Bruce Willis, playing Jimmy Tudeschi, who is also a very nice, likable guy, 
it was all about his character, it making sense that he probably got up, closed the door, therefore that slapstick stunt really did pay off. So I guess what I'm trying to get at, Matt, is what did you think about these performances, as well as the direction and the writing? Do you, I mean, is there any inkling within you to where you felt that the performances overshadowed the material or the performances would not have been the same without the material and even without the direction? Well, I definitely think that this movie is absolutely carried on the strength of the performances. It really is a, like I said, so you have these great story beats, right? Um, that you can definitely put towards the pacing. That's great direction. Uh, good editing for sure. Um, so, Cool. You get to credit that with Jonathan Lynn. Um, you've got a good overall story, so you get to credit that with Mitchell Kapner. You then have those cheesy lines, but because you believe Matthew Perry's character, you believe Oz is that kind of a guy who would say these things, then you buy the characterization too. So, yeah, I think it does come into play that these characters... Um, I mean, for example... Um, Rosanna Arquette, she plays Sophie, again, Oz's terrible wife, and she only has, like, maybe three minutes of screen time? Maybe? And yet, she has to convey so much in that three minutes, it's a great character. It's a, it's, it's very well acted. So, I think that the characters themselves being portrayed the way they were, also sell this movie. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's so incredibly enjoyable. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, well, we tried. <laughs> we were doing so well. We made it 16 minutes. Um, I, I would say that it really is a confluence of these things. And the characters really do matter. Um, one thing that... the only The only thing that I guess would have been questionable in the character department would probably have been Frankie Figs a little bit, mainly because you buy the nice side of Frankie so much, but you don't really get to see the dark side of Frankie. Like, yeah, you see him beat up Oz, but he's even doing that in such a congenial way that you're leaning into the fact that he's, you know, putting on a show to make sure, you know, just to put on the show so that, Oz will believe the situation he's in, not that Jimmy has put Frankie up to it. Well, I think a lot of that is because of Michael Clark Duncan and his persona of being like this nice, likable beast of a looking man who can be intimidating, but there's always that warmth behind him. And and again, that's so it's hard for me to kind of accept that he's really the darker character. You know, like on the boat, like you just kind of see that one. Yeah, but he's got to go, right? And hey, you know, you forget you're talking to, you know, I'm dead, but I'm not exactly dead. You know what I mean? And then he just kind of gets this look on his face. And I don't know. That's kind of the one real time that you see this open up of Frankie's supposed to be really the bad guy. I don't know. I just, um, that was a little harder for me to swallow. But then again, Story beat. Okay, well, if he's the bad guy, he's got to go. <laughs> so so he does. And like 15 seconds later, he's gone. So whatever. Um, but 
I would say the biggest problem for me with this movie, and again, like the movie, I really do. I, even after all this time, I can still honestly say it's a good movie. It's worth watching. But it still fights with the Chandler problem. It's, the Chandler problem exists. And it's... I mean, it's not Matthew Perry's fault uh, in, in any more than you can blame, you know, Robert Downey Jr. for being Iron Man. It's it's just sometimes you get wrapped and tied to an iconic character, and that's okay. You either roll with it or you don't. And I think that in this instance, Matthew Perry rolled with it. Um, too much success. But... It also just kind of looked like Chandler inexplicably moved off to Canada <laughs> to become a dentist. And I'm just, it just, so here I am enjoying this movie, believing in the movie, um, buying into the universe. My suspension of disbelief is totally invested. And then. Oz does something that Chandler would do or says something the way Chandler would say it. And now all I see is Chandler. And then it takes a minute for me to, you know, break that and put it back into a context of. He wears the same clothes for sure. He wears the same clothes. But then again, that's just kind of the fashion. So what are you going to do? Just late Um, 90s cargo it, pants with dress really shirt tucked is. in. I mean, come on. Did you see <laughs> did you see the high-waisted slacks that Bruce Willis is wearing with the bowling shirts? I mean, come on. Um you know, so it, it's just one of those things where that is still the eternal problem for this movie with me. It's the conundrum of this film. It exists in its own vacuum, which is great, but at the same time I'm still seeing Chandler. And if you're not someone who, for whatever reason, has ever been into Friends or you are younger and did not get it. I would say start here first because this is a great movie. And if you don't have that link to Friends, then you can enjoy this movie for what it is much more. No, I wanted to ask you about the the plot, how everything unfolds. Okay. What I really liked about this film, even 20 years ago when I first watched it, the denouement, you know, right when the when the when the bad guy, Kevin Pollack, plays mm-hmm. the bad guy. Well, you expect there to be an altercation, a shootout at the end of the film. Well, it it doesn't really. Well, it happens around the last act of the film. I but mean, it kicks off the it kicks off the third act. It so definitely sure. does. But the movie ends up becoming in the last act. A very nice understanding slash resolution between two non but understanding friends. Like what I really liked about this film character wise is that I liked the progression of Matthew Perry's character's relationship with Bruce Willis's character. Oz's relationship with Jimmy and how there's never really trust there, but at least Oz is willing to kind of look the other way with Jimmy until his wife, Oz's wife, kind of throws a wrench into everything. But what makes this film much more likable, especially these characters, is that Jimmy is willing to... He's smart. He understands the situation. He knows this predicament that Oz is in. So he's willing to throw him a bone, help him out, unless Oz screws him over, which is kind of what happens. But even then, Jimmy is willing to let Oz make it up 
I like your term of using "screw him over." It wasn't "screw him over." It was ex- it was engaging in sexual congress with the with the wife. Well, okay, yes, <laughs> screwing her over him. Or wait, no, him. No, I like but, that. That's sure. good. Screwing her over him. Sure. <laughs> um, but really, like all this stuff builds up, and on top of this, you have Harlan Williams's character. I mean, we're already kind of spoiling things, but this turns out to be a nice uh, twist. And this movie has these nice little twists that you never would have suspected to happen that do sure. happen. Everything from Harlan Williams's character turning out to be a, a, an FBI an agent, cop. yeah, 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 an undercover cop, or Amanda Peet's character turning out to be. A hit woman, totally obsessed with Jimmy Tudeschi. To me, it was absolutely hilarious. Did I laugh out loud? A couple times I did. But there were chuckles throughout. And that's what I really loved about this movie. And what it builds up to, going back to my question to you, Matt, the film makes you think it's going to build up to some kind of shootout. An altercation between Jimmy and Kevin Pollock's character of uh, Gogolak, or whatever his name, however you say his mm-hmm. last name. Yeah, sure. I'll go with that. Gogolak. But then it happens. Gogolak gets shot. Everybody on his team dies. Bam, boom, bang. All the issues are done and over with. And then Harlan Williams' character, the undercover cop, comes into play. And also what comes into play is Oz's line of work, being a dentist. Now, for a large chunk of this movie, there are a lot of jokes, and including the opening credits of the movie are uh, are focused on dentistry and Matthew Perry's character of Oz, his line of work. And it finally comes into play in this film later on in such a wonderful way. Jimmy Tudeschi wants to fake his death, and live his life with Jill doing whatever. Well, in order to fake your death, in order to really pull it off, what do you do? Well, you get rid of your fingerprints, you change your dental work, or, or you uh, you copy your dental work onto the person that you're, you're planting there to make him come across as you, and more than likely that will work. And as a kid watching this play out, as this is the ending of the film, this is the the, the gristle, in, in some way it blew my 12-year-old mind that a witty comedy gangster film can really pull something off that is this smart and not action-heavy what, whatsoever. I don't know if you felt the same way or, or not. I don't know. I guess recognizing that the movie pretty much from the halfway point becomes uh, Oz is in love with um, Cynthia, which is Natasha uh, Henstridge's character. I I guess I looked at it as more as that's the romantic comedy. That's the end goal is trying to get is how are Oz and Cynthia going to get together? Not how is Jimmy going to kill Yanni Gogolak? Oh, it is Yanni. I keep calling him Johnny. So that's so for me, that was not really an issue. Even the very first time I watched it, I could see from the, about the halfway point of the movie that the end result was gonna see was gonna be how do how do Oz and Cynthia get together um, and stay alive. Not so much that it was gonna come down to what was going on with uh, Yanni and 
Jimmy because it's pretty clear each one is trying to play the other. It is, but there's also tropes when you think about gangster movies where the the two different gangsters on opposite sides, I guess you can call one the good guy, the one the bad guy, and usually those movies... You know, it builds up to the denouement of the clashing of the two clans. But then it like goes the extra mile. It goes the extra yard, even. And does something <laughs> a little bit more than I was really expecting. Again, whenever I was 12 years old, based on you know what I was watching at the time. With all the performances, is there one performance that you liked the most? I'm going to go with Amanda Peet. Mainly because she's just so ridiculously vibrant. Um, and yes, I realize the juxtaposition of being young and vibrant about being a you know, hit person uh, or a contract killer is not something you should be vibrant about. But I think that's what adds to the hilarity and the zaniness of the story. So um, yeah, so I'm going to go with Amanda Peet. It's just kind of fun to watch her character go. Totally. I definitely agree with you. I wrote that in my notes that uh, there's just something about Amanda Peet's performance that is very earnest. You just want to see more of her uh, throughout the film. And you, well, I mean, you see more screen time and you definitely see more of her uh, in the form of of nudity, (laughs) I suppose. That is true. Yes. Also, the nudity plays a part in the film itself. And you also know that her relationship with Jimmy, um, it, it makes sense. And there is something there that you're you're happy to see. At least I was happy to see. It is very difficult for me to pick out a performance that I find that stands out. I thought Bruce, well, I thought everybody was wonderfully cast. Everybody down to Michael Clark Duncan and Rosanna Arquette. I thought Rosanna Arquette was great. But I also like Bruce Willis not really hamming it up, but he was well, he just seemed very relaxed. Reminded me of Moonlighting. Oh, for sure. Did, were you, did you watch Moonlighting? I did. You did? I had to sneak up and stay up and try and sneak to stay up late to watch Moonlighting because, you know, that was after my bedtime. Oh. I, I was a child once, you know. I wasn't always this this being that is where i'm at now in life but i was a kid (laughs) you mean older and with children yeah something like that (laughs) okay so the whole nine yards rated r 98 minutes long it was released on february 18th in the year 2000 so right at the dawn of the new millennium 20 years over 20 years later now looking back on it do you think that it aged well Yes, I would absolutely agree with the concept of it having aged well. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, Matt and I, during the pre-show, were kind of talking about this film. And last night when I was re-watching it, there were so many things coming to mind. And I was able to call out certain little nuances and little moments that I haven't thought about since I last watched this. It was just a absolute delight. And I highly recommend it. It's uh, it's definitely a good time. And yet, if you like Chandler from Friends and you want to see more of Chandler from Friends, maybe you should 100% uh, go for this film. But if you hate Chandler from Friends, go into this movie understanding that you'll see a little bit of it. But the movie is just a good farce 
with all these other wonderful performances that commit to that farce in a very delightful way. Join us next time as we begin a three-part series in which we will be discussing the select filmography of The Archers, the dynamic directing duo that is Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. The first four films we'll cover will be The 49th Parallel, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, A Canterbury Tale, and I Know Where I'm Going. We hope you tune in. The music for our show is brought to you by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Hustle, Shaving Mirror, The Curtain Rises, and Slow Burn are the song titles used on the program. You can find our show over at slscast.com, on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast directories. We're also on Twitter at the SLScast, and you can always send us an email at the show at slscast.com. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next time. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! It ain't over now. Because when the going gets tough, the toughs get going. Who's with me? Let's go!